Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Join us as we share some hair-raising travel experiences from two very passionate travel writers and tell you about an alternative to pet boarding for when you're on the road. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're sharing some inspiring stories from fellow travelers and entrepreneurs who follow their passion to new careers in the travel space. Thanks, dear. From being coached by Anthony Bourdain and our eating man's best friend on a trip to Vietnam to spending a night in jail at London's Heathrow Airport, are just two of the hair-raising tales author Tom Gates shares in his new book, Wayward, Fetching Tales from a Year on the Road. This career changer, a common theme with all of today's guests, Tom set off to spend a year traveling the world, and he'll share with us all that he bargained for and more. It's Gilligan's Island with me and John from Connecticut and, like, 40 local people. Um, the little feeder boat uh, broke on the way in. Mike Richard, founding editor of Vagabondish.com, a travel portal he created for independent travelers, has a tremendous passion for travel. Mike absconded from corporate America, and he joins us to share his passion for travel and inspiration for Vagabondish.com. Travel presents the hum of possibility, and to me, I just think that's such a beautiful way to put, you know, in, in so succinctly how much travel excites people like me. Uh, it's just constantly, you know, never knowing what's going to happen next. Aaron Hirschhorn's career has gone to the dogs, literally. If you are like us, our cat Irwin is like a son, albeit a misbehaving one. Aaron left behind a career in finance to make sure his dogs Rambo and Rocky and other vacationing pets have a cushy bed in which to sleep. And we'll learn more about Dog Vacay, this unique service for travelers seeking an alternative to boarding or pet sitting. So it's an alternative to the kennel. So instead of putting your dog in a cage that's for 23 hours a day and it's costing $50, $60 a night, we have thousands of hosts across the country who welcome your dog into their home like a member of the family. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and along with my wife, Tanya, this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Have you ever wondered what dog tastes like or what it feels like to be locked up in... <laughs> <laughs> or what it feels like to be locked up at Heathrow Airport, or even sleep in sheets with a thread count lower than your IQ. Well, yeah, judging by, uh, by the response of our next guest, he has, and he can tell you, and he does in his new book, Wayward, Fetching Tales from a Year on the Road. Following a career and personal meltdown in New York, Tom set off to spend a year traveling the world, and as he'll share with us, he got all that he bargained for and more. Tom, I'm so looking forward to learning your uh, to traveling vicariously through your mishaps. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I'm so sorry that you have to suffer through it with me. <laughs> Now, listen, okay, I know there's a story behind New York, but how did you go from heavy metal bands to traveling the world for a year and experiencing all of these things, including eating dog? And I'm not sure I want, really want to hear that story, but I will, for our audience's sake. I spent a long time managing bands, and I lived in New York and, and doing it, and there's a high, high burnout factor uh, associated with the entertainment field. Um, 
it just it just wipes you out. And particularly if you're a creative person, I, I consider myself to be pretty creative. Um, and what ended up happening to me was that how best to say this? I was always furthering the advances of other dreams, mm-hmm. other people's creativity, other people's ideas, their records, their music, their whatever. And inside of me, I had this little dream to go and travel the world and write a book. And it started to weigh me down badly. Uh, towards the end, right around 2008, I started to hatch a scheme to uh, evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and I started writing for a travel blog called, called Matador, um, who in turn, after just a few articles, said, do you want to be an editor? And I went, uh, a what? And they said, no, really, be an editor. I said, okay, well, if you're stupid enough to hire me as an editor, then I'm going to be dumb enough to sell my futon <laughs> and just go for it. So um, I, so I did, I did. I sold everything I owned, put the rest of my mom's attic, and uh, decided to live in 12 countries in 12 months. So you're kind of writing for them as you were traveling? Exactly. And that was the first question I asked. is like, um, can I live anywhere? And they were like, dummy, you're a travel writer now. <laughs> That's <laughs> the job. So you actually got what you asked for. How was that for you? I mean, that that you had to have gone outside of your comfort zone a little bit, especially considering, you know, what you were accustomed to. And I totally, being in D.C., I totally relate uh, mm. to your your corporate uh, nightmare experiences. It was exactly what the doctor ordered. Like, really, it was like getting, getting some kind of treatment at the last minute. It, it was what I needed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to make it if I didn't have it. When you first took off, I mean, how much planning did you do, or did you just kind of wing it? I'm a planner. Okay. I, I, would, I would love to believe that I'm the guy that just shows up and goes, do you have a room? <laughs> and, but I am not. And um, I took three months and really blocked out at least my first few months but then after that I really did people would say Portugal's nice and I'd go okay and I'd go to Portugal but but in terms of my day-to-day planning I had to know where I was staying it was not just a show up with a backpack kind of thing it was mm-hmm. a show up with a backpack and a reservation kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but as a planner I mean there and there had to be some things that uh, you did not plan for so what were some of the uh, so what were some of your first mishaps? The big one, uh, Fiji. Uh, there's, a, there's a boat that goes out through the Asawa Islands, um, and it goes once a day, and it starts at the, at the one island and, and goes all the way to the other island and has these little feeder boats. And you can make a reservation while you're on the boat, and a little feeder boat will take you to a resort, and that's with big quotes around it, resort, um, and uh, on one of these islands. And some are nicer than others. Some are more t- suited towards scuba diving. It's it's a great time, but I made a, a, a really bad mistake, and I did that. I got this super nerdy idea of take me to the island nobody goes to. Oh, come on, <laughs> come on! I can do this. So they did, and it's called Yakita uh, with a Q. And uh, no, nobody goes there. Just me. Uh huh. Just me. Uh huh. Um, and, and one other person who happened to be on the island, and it's, it's, you know, it's Gilligan's Island with me and John from Connecticut and, like, 40 local people. Um, the little feeder boat uh, broke on the way in, so I was stuck on the island for three days. No way off. I mean, really starting to have to talk about helicopters coming and how much it would cost. And um, a woman died, and I helped bury her. Oh, my goodness. And then we slaughtered a cow for the 
ritual that happened after she died, and then I ground and uh, impounded kava root, which is a narcotic, um, legal there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't remember that day. <laughs> I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask. <laughs> Let's just say that the three weirdest time warp I'm on the TV show Lost myself kind of days uh, <laughs> happen on that island, and uh, eventually the little um, they got a little wire that went into the motor, and, and it pulled it, and it took me back to the main boat, and I was okay. But. Yeah. Y- I think, you know, I'm sitting here envisioning you on an episode of uh, Survivor. I think you would be a great candidate for a Survivor. I'm the wimpy guy voted off in round three. <laughs> they hold me just long enough because they know I'm going to vote for them, but they know they've got to take me out because I'm not going to win the challenges. Oh, no, see, we'd have to, we'd have, to have an alignment, you and I. We'd, we'd, we'd go through. We'd, we'd be in the final three. So. We'd be digging around for the idol every spare moment. <laughs> They are the doggone skipping. <laughs> so, what what country? I mean, travel travel is such a, a powerful, transformative experience, and you know, and I can't I can't express that enough. And you know, and, and really, for people who haven't really traveled the way um, you have, and certainly the way I have, you know, they I, I really want to encourage people. Um, to travel, and, and it's very transformative, and I know you've had to have some incredibly transformative uh, and surprising experiences out on the road. What, what are some of the things that, what country surprised you the most, and, and what would you say was your most transformative experience? It's a big world, uh, and it's getting smaller. When you can take a plane uh, and get somewhere that you couldn't have gotten to 10 years ago, it's, it's a big deal, um, and especially if the, the government's opening up to the idea of having you. I think about a place like uh, Myanmar, which used to be called Burma. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go there this year. And, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have gone there. Now, I, like, I get to go. It's a, such a privilege. So you're, you're right. It is transformative. And, like, I will live my entire year just to get to the moment that I get to fly there. Um, in terms of most interesting place I went to, India will knock your socks off. It's just completely different than anything you've ever experienced in your life. It's backwards. It's it's the opposite of your life, wherever you are. The smells, the food, the people, the amount of people, the, the amount of space, the, uh, you know, just the just rawness of it, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing it on a budget, is really overwhelming. Um, and I guess the country that, that I, I had different notions of. Um, I spent time in Germany as a traveler, but just... Uh, in the music business mostly, and, and kind of just popping through these major cities. And I went there for a month and was completely and totally knocked out by it. Berlin is amazing. Like, get there, stat. Um, if you're not staying in the city center, you're living the dream of all dreams. Mm. Each neighborhood of Berlin is so cool and so different. Um, and in the center, where, where most of the tourists stay, it's boring, it's terrible. It's it's a bunch of concrete buildings and a couple of museums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're down in say Friedrichshain, there's, there's 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 a pool in the river. Wow! Uh, like an in-ground pool in the river. It's called the Bodachain, and people go there and lay on the beach, and they have techno music playing at like you know a million decibels, and drinks. And really, that's all you need in life, right? A pool and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, the 
a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, essentially, <laughs> those are the basics. Maybe a hug. Yeah, Maybe a hug. absolutely. Maybe a, hug would be good. a smile. But, but <laughs> stuff like that happens all the time in Berlin. You know, mm-hmm. the quartet, string quartet from the Berlin Symphonic Orchestra playing with a punk rock band in an uh, empty floor of an old department store. Okay, that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, I want to talk about some of the some of the uh, other mishaps that you had. I, I, I have to ask you about dog. How you ended up eating dog, and how you ended up getting locked up in Heathrow um, International Airport. And you know, having spoken to you uh, just for a few minutes, I can tell you're ornery, and <laughs> you you probably did something you weren't supposed to do. So, what was that? Spill the beans. Uh, you know, we'll go, we'll go with Heathrow first. Then. <laughs> I, I did nothing wrong. I've never had a detention in my life. Uh, that was a paralyzing experience. I, I showed up there. I taught kids in Italy for a month, which is enough to just, just about kill a person. <laughs> and I flew and took trains and uh, all this transport to get to Heathrow. And I've been to London about 40 or 50 times. I love the place. Mm-hmm. Um, never expected more than a, hi, how are you? Here's your stamp move on and they asked me a few questions uh, to which I uh, replied with great honesty which appears to have been a big mistake <laughs> um, uh, what do you do uh, oh I write for a blog okay so that's immediately not a real job obviously to them mm-hmm. um, do you have any money no no not really I'm just kind of winging it backpacking um, okay and what are you saying oh I don't know I, I kind of <laughs> have an idea once and then the last one was and do you have a ticket back to the United States? I'm mm. going to Spain, but no. Um, and, and all these honest answers kicked up the profile of someone who disappeared into the country forever. <laughs> so for so, our listeners who, you know, haven't been to London or are, are out there backpacking, um, this is uh, mistake number one. Just have some doc- have a document of where you're staying and they require a, a ticket, proof of a ticket back to your country. Mm-hmm. I've never been asked it before, but that's a big one. <laughs> but so what happened was I ended up getting a, a thorough round of questioning from a, a very anxious man um, who then went off duty and handed me off to kind of a bad cop um, who, who questioned me for another two hours. And um, they kicked it up to the boss in a transcript form. And next thing I knew, I was in the Heathrow jail, denied entry to the country, with the, the nice gentleman who had smuggled some drugs into the country as well. Oh, very nice guy. We had some in, very interesting conversation. And, um, and the people who worked there were really, really sympathetic because they see it all the time. Someone who kind of gets hung up on technicalities, and no one would really say it at all, but there are quotas that they have to meet. Um, and I was what, what one of them called an easy pull. Uh, uh-huh. Somebody who wasn't going to threaten their family. Someone is just going to shut up and cry in the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, next day, uh, walked by security through the airport and put in the airplane. And uh, I guess in the in the final act of disrespect, last row, middle seat. I mean, what's worse than that? Oh, lovely! But you found your way back to the country since then, I'm sure. I have, um, mm-hmm. and I've entered through Edinburgh twice. Okay. <laughs> um, let me tell you. Night and day. So, uh, you know, your your book is is such a you know it's an easy read. It's a quick read, um, but packed full of stories like this. And I don't want you know to share every single story, uh, but I, I am interested in the um, 
in the um, culinary experience you had. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you feel up to it, please share um, that, and, uh, and then we'll save the rest. We'll allow the rest to be a mystery for, um, for listeners. Are you speaking about the DOG story? I am. I am. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain is amazing, right? He's just great, uh, but he's kind of a jerk. And he taps me on my shoulder in my brain when I'm traveling and says, do it, do it, do it, I'd do it, I would do it. <laughs> um, and this is one of those moments that I was in Vietnam and uh, I, was, I was traveling with uh, someone I really wanted to impress. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it was brought up that we should go eat dog. And I said, yes. And it was the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> you don't go do stuff like this to impress people. You don't go do it because Anthony Bourdain's daring you in your numbskull mind. You go and do it, really, if you, if you want to have the experience. I, I did it for all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. I admit it. Mm-hmm. So we went. Um, we found a nice cab driver. Um, we told him woof woof, and he took us there. Wow! And um, you know everything bad's near an airport. So we went to the airport, found a dog restaurant, uh, which they are very popular in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I guess on a full moon, it's kind of a ritual uh, within certain groups of people to have dogs. But we went off cycle. Um, it, the restaurant was empty, and uh, we walked in, sat down on the floor. There were little tables right above where you sat down, and uh, and then heard the dogs running around downstairs right before oh. we ate. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, uh, okay. So, Laura, do you want to get you want to kind of surmise the, how terrible this was? Yeah, please. We did it. Um, we we did it. We There were two choices, boy dog or girl dog, which is just crazy. And um, we both ate, like, half a piece, uh, and we both looked at each other like we were idiots we both felt stupid and cruel and just awful mm-hmm. really 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 bad and we we just paid our bill and not even really eating the stuff and uh got ripped off terribly by cab driver on the way home mm-hmm. and when we had gotten back to the hostel we looked, looked at each other and we we're like this is this is not what travel's about this is absolutely why you shouldn't be doing things um, mm-hmm. And it was a really big lesson for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't even a thrill. It was just an embarrassment. Like yeah. a stain on my own personal travel record. Oh, and, and you know, and, and we don't, I mean, we've had uh, Andrew Zimmern on our on our show before. And, you know, one of the things um, that we talked about is that in some countries, you know, we, we don't want to judge um, what other people, uh, some of their other, you know, traditions or what have you. Um, and in some countries, you know, uh, insects are the only protein that some people uh, can have. And we've actually, we actually tried some with, with him. Um, and they're actually quite good. I actually liked them like little potato chips, little Pringles. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I think, I, I think uh, I, I, you know, I'm a very adventurous eater. Um, I think I would not have wanted to hear or wanted to know what I was eating. Um, but I, I tried if I hadn't, you know, if I didn't know, um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you've, you've tried it. It was an experience. Um, it was a, a lesson for you. And, um, I think, in a, in a lot of ways it's made, uh, future travels and your other travels, um, very enriching. So talk a little bit about some of the interesting people that you've met along the way. I know you've had to have met some colorful characters. 
Well, yeah, the book is about an entire year. So there's there's an entire year worth of people that I met. But um, I guess I want to talk about Betty. Um, I was in Chile uh, for a month. Started at the top, went to the bottom. And I did it um, through a backpacker bus. Um, a few countries have these. And um, you can hop on, hop off wherever you want, and kind of, and they put you in a hostel. It's, a, it's an a, a affordable way to do an entire country. But, you know, you mostly meet drunk 19-year-olds from the U.K. on these trips. Mm -hmm. you know, there's no depth really going on <laughs> on the backpacker bus. So um, I ended up meeting an 82-year-old woman named Betty from Vancouver. Um, her husband had recently died, and she told me that her kids had just, they have their own lives now. They don't even really consider her. Um, you know, she was, she was as good as dead in their eyes. Mm. Um, and she wasn't depressed about it. She was actually quite determined because there were two things that she wanted to do. She wanted to go to Chile and she wanted to go to India. And she had, within her economic means, picked this trip and this way of doing it. And I was sitting next to her for a week. And Betty did everything. Zipline, hello, 82-year-old woman, in the air, <laughs> ziplining. Bless her. Uh, you know, climb the volcano, okay, she didn't get to the top. She did it. And her whole mantra was, what's the worst that can happen? I die? Hmm. And to spend a week with someone who, you know, was doing this thing that they had hoped that they were going to do their whole life before they died, and doing it with such, uh, like, she didn't care. She just didn't care. She would sleep on the bottom bunk, you know, of a, of a bunk bed. Uh, it was to experience that that early in my year was like a huge, huge eye opener. Yeah. What a beautiful soul she sounds like. She was a little cranky too. Nope. Well, she's 82, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, just to, the courage that it, that it took her. And, and I think, you know, she sounds like somebody who traveled with a very open mind. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing. And travel late in life. That's the, you know, the other thing is that like, you know, I, a lot of people ask me like, can I do this? And um, the answer is yes, and it doesn't have to be right now. You know, your, your kids go to college, maybe that's your hole. Mm -hmm. You, you um, retire, maybe that's your window. Maybe, maybe it's when you graduate from college. But if you kind of look ahead the way you do, like when you open a 401k and, and know that you're putting money in something that you're not going to see for a long time, mm -hmm. you, can, you can carve out that time in your life. And for Betty, it just happened to be 82 years old. So, so what advice would you give to, to somebody who is thinking about taking a gap year out of corporate life or just life in general um, to travel? What are some I'm, a, I'm, well, I'm a huge advocate for it, but I'm also a huge advocate for not just doing it out of thin air. Don't The dream, the dream that everybody dreams, that everybody dreams, is that you walk in your office, both hands on hip, and say, enough of you. <laughs> You're mean. I'm leaving. I'm going to Portugal. <laughs> not the way to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, hatch a scheme. Sit down. Figure out when it is in your life that you can do it. If it's in three months, great. And really get your finances in order. You will be shocked by how much value you have just sitting around your house if you take the time to sell it all. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, investigate fantastic travel insurance because, you, you know, when you quit your job, you're not going to have insurance anymore. And it's really, really important. Um, and just make plan it the way you would plan for a baby or something. Make it that important. Mm -hmm. And then go do it. But so, it, it shouldn't be a snap decision, I guess, is what I'm saying. 
looking back, you know, and looking at at your life's journey, and now it's memorialized, you know, in your book, what is the most important thing you learned about yourself through this experience? I'm 41 years old. I don't have kids. I don't plan to have kids. And I'm pretty much unmarriable at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I'm kidding about that part. Somewhere, <laughs> maybe, someone. Um, but but I, I realized in my life, uh, I wasn't getting a lot of the, the, the circle of life. Lion King holds the newborn baby over the cliff to show the world moments. Um, I, I really wasn't, and it was really bumming me out that I wasn't having the epiphanies that all my friends were having, that life is great, life is long, life is what you make it, all these kind of things that you read on some sticker that's on somebody's refrigerator, and you just go, ugh. So on the trip, I did, I did, I did, I was on an island that ran out of water because the well was done, and we had to dig for a well for two days because if we didn't, we, no one was going to drink, and uh, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And and I did teach kids in Italy, and, you know, they weren't mine, but they were mine. You know, and I lived with a family there that when I left, little Marco, uh, who didn't have a dad, he, he was hanging off of my neck, screaming and crying and yelling in Italian, how could you leave me? And, you know, just these little moments that I had in this year um, kind of gave, gave me those life lessons. And so, it, it, you know, I think if you're looking for something or you're looking to find yourself, as cliche that, as that is, it, it's the thing to do. You're really going to find it. You really, eat, pray, love is real. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe, Tom, you're uh, working on a Wayward 2, or you have plans for a Wayward 2 in the, in the near future. Is that correct? You should be very scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm excited for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's for such a uh, quick read in a small book. It takes a while. It takes a while, but uh, that's just the way I write, and that's the way I like to write. I I've imagined a book that anyone could put in their back pocket and read on a subway mm-hmm. uh, in in five trips to work or something like that. Indeed, and it, and it, it it's it is a great read. It's a yeah, <laughs> your writing style is um it's it's very colorful, very personable, and um and and you know and it's fun. Um, but I look forward to you know more adventures from you and and certainly um, if you do hit the road again for another year and and write your wayward number two um, I want to be one of the first people to know about this I I will make sure that you are and I I promise you I will not eat dog (laughs) all right my dear you got a deal you still owe me a glass of wine but um, (laughs) but uh, yeah yeah I look forward to meeting you uh, real soon Tom but uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we'll introduce you to the founder of Vagabondish.com, the site for independent travelers created by fellow traveler Mike Richard. Travel presents the hum of possibility. And to me, I just think that's such a beautiful way to put, you know, so succinctly how much travel excites people like me. Uh, It's just constantly, you know, never knowing what's going to happen next next as World Footprints continues. Hello, my name is Minnie Johnson. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprints radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much information from the show. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit pack 
www.thisisfortheforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Hi, I'm Nancy from Lansing, Michigan. I'm here in New Orleans, and I enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. One of the pleasures we experience when we travel are the people we meet, especially like-minded people who have a tremendous passion for travel. Mike Richard, founding editor of Vagabondish.com, is one such person. We wanted you to meet Mike for two reasons. First, Mike absconded from corporate America in 2010 at the beginning of the Great Recession to create a travel portal for the independent travelers, a venture that has become sustainable. And Mike's story and his journey are inspiring. Mike, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you very much for having me. Now, the white elephant in the room you left a stellar career as a website designer making lots of money at a precarious time in the global economy. Why did you do that? Yeah, it was probably the worst possible time that I could have picked to leave, at least in terms of uh, conventional wisdom. Um, yeah, I had always, uh, I was working as creative director of a web design and development company here in Rhode Island. Uh, it's a job that I actually really loved. I still love. I'm still very into advertising, marketing, graphic design. Uh, the company that I worked for was fantastic. I had a great boss, great colleagues, for the most part, great clients. Um, and I really never stopped loving that work, uh, even after about 10 years of, of doing it. It was still pretty fun to me. But at the same time, uh, the day-to-day grind of a 9-to-5 job was kind of wearing me down. I, I just didn't want to be tied to a desk for decades of my life. And, and what is it about travel? I mean, why travel for you? How does that fulfill your life more than what you were doing? Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I had read this, this, this seminal book, uh, Vagabonding, by Rolf Potts in, I'm going to say, 2007. Um, so I had already been fairly, my, my passion for travel was already, you know, fairly well solidified in my mind. But he boiled it down to, this, this saying that travel presents the hum of possibility. And to me, I just think that's such a beautiful way to put, you know, in, in so succinctly how much travel excites people like me. Uh, it's just constantly, you know, never knowing what's going to happen next. Uh, depending on how you travel, you never know where you're going to be next, who you're going to meet. Um, it's, it's just this, this nonstop um, excitement, interest, curiosity, um, that's, mm. And that's really what I love about it. Mm-hmm. And you and I know as entrepreneurs, and I'm sure any of our listeners who work for themselves know that what we do is not for the faint of heart. And I can't imagine that you went into this brand new industry, really, at the time that you did, and you didn't have people in your life um, questioning your choices or even naysayers who, you know, really try to discourage you. How did you continue in the face of that type of uh, adversity and the challenges that being an entrepreneur have um, have shown? Well, you know, I, I had a lot of, you know, I mentioned conventional wisdom. I, I had a lot of that working against me. Um, you know, it's it's a cultural thing, especially here in the in the U.S. That you know, you you work, 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 and if you're not working, then you know, w- what else are you doing? You know, there there really is no other option. 
see me doing anything that, that made me happy. Um, they were a little bit skeptical at first, but they weren't overly negative. Uh, so I wouldn't even say that they were naysayers in particular. Um, they just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, kind of making the right decision. And so they asked a lot of questions about my site. They wanted to know what my overall plan was and, you know, how I was going to make this a viable, um, you know, commercial entity and really turn it into a business because, you know, in their eyes, I was just sort of some guy writing about travel online. You know, how can that possibly, um, you know, make, make me a sustainable income? Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of that were, you know, friends, um, who were happy for me as well, but at the same time, you know, it's 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 hard to relate to, to people when you're traveling full time or when your goal is to travel full time, and a lot of your friends are living, you know, more conventional lives. You know, they're they're buying houses and they're having kids, and you know, the whole you know dog in the white picket fence and you know the the uh, Prius in the driveway, um, and that was hard at first, and it continues to be a bit of a struggle. Uh, so I've actually found a lot of support within the travel blogging community. Um, you know, I, I, I see a lot of other people and I saw even back then a lot of people doing what I wanted to do and, you know, they had a go of it and it was fairly successful for them. So I knew it was possible. Um, and that just really gave me a lot of hope that I should just keep pushing forward and, uh, you know, eventually it would work for me as well. Mm -hmm. So what actually inspired your site, Vagabondish.com? What was your initial vision for the site and and, and how has it evolved over the years? Well, I started in 2006 um, and that was a lifetime ago. Uh, You know, looking back, I mean, this is in the days before YouTube existed and uh, I don't even believe Twitter was online yet. So the travel blogging sphere has definitely evolved quite a bit since then. I mean, even the word blogging wasn't a a specific, that wasn't part of the mainstream lexicon now. You know, you didn't have people on CNN saying blogs. Um, So, you know, at the time, I I created the site really just as a place to, you know, discuss things that I found interesting that were travel-related. I wrote about travels um, that I was going on um, even while I was working a, a desk job. Uh, I wrote about travel gear that I thought was interesting, little, you know, travel inspirational quotes and whatnot. So it was sort of this hodgepodge, kind of a, you know, a potpourri that didn't have a clearly definable uh, goal. And at at the time, I had no interest in um, making it commercial at all. Um, Hmm. I was working, you know, working my desk job, and uh, that was funding my site, and I was happy to just continue, you know, letting letting that job fund, you know, my passion and my, my, um, you know, my writing for this, this website. And this really started from the pursuit of passion. That's, that's all it was. I had, I had no other goal in mind other than just writing about what interested me. Wow. So talk about some of the, the trips that you've been able to take since then. I mean, do you travel differently now as a travel writer than you did before? And how so? You know, it's, it's interesting because I do sort of, there's, there's two different versions or variations of, of uh, how I travel. Uh, one is, is, you know, my own independent travel, which is, you know, planning and funding the trip on my own, which is, is not any different um, than what I had originally started doing, um, how I started traveling when I was uh, starting the website. Um, and the other uh, is, is press trips, which are, you know, for people who don't know, are sponsored trips where tourism boards or, um, you know, uh, CVBs bring on writers and they, uh, you know, they show them around for 
you know, three or four days or maybe a week or longer. Uh, they show them around a specific region. They show them different sites and, um, you know, plan different experiences and whatnot for the travel writers to, uh, to engage in with the expectation that the writer is going to, you know, write about their trip and, and so forth. Um, when I travel independently, I, I tend to do an awful lot of research. Um, I plan things out, you know, fairly, fairly well in advance. Um, not every single second of every, uh, every day while I'm traveling, but, um, I think I do a lot more traveling when I'm planning it on my own or a lot more planning when I'm traveling on my own. Mm -hmm. But for press trips, I sort of relish the idea of allowing somebody else to take on that responsibility. Um, it's a little bit more of a relaxing in that sense. I don't, I don't try to research it too much or to, you know, build in any expectations to the trip. I just sort of go with the flow. And I think in that sense, it allows me to sort of keep a more open mind um, and not have any built-in expectations of what I'm going to see or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to feel about a place. We talked a little bit about your vis your initial vision for the the site. What is Vagabondish.com today? Well, it's 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 very similar to what it became in 2008, which is uh, the year that I decided to have a go at taking it commercial. Um, I wanted to make it, you know, shift the focus from being a personal travel blog written solely by me to a group-written travel magazine written by uh, a handful of really, really great travel writers. And it was almost immediately successful. It was clear to me that it was going to be very successful, and I just needed to keep, you know, keep up with the same passion that I had when it was a personal travel blog. A lot of times on the show we talk about, you know, the transformative power of travel, and I'm just curious, have you had a transformative travel experience and if so where was that and what was that uh i i have and uh i was thinking more about this yesterday um i i think the most transformative experience i had which was good and bad um for a variety of reasons i unfortunately can't say where or when it was but uh it was a, <laughs> it was a, a diving trip uh shark diving in particular um within the past few years and it was the, the first time that I had ever gone shark diving I was uh I was ecstatic about about going was uh, this a chum dive trip. sorry was this a chum dive uh it was not and that's part of the reason why I went with the company that I went with uh, okay because they they specifically um do not use chum and you know the the sharks are already there at depth so there's really no reason to to bait them um uh, bait more of them into coming or bait the ones that are there into getting any more aggressive than they otherwise would be. Uh, without chumming the waters, it actually makes the sharks more calm and much more curious. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's better for the divers if they're already there, not the chum. But we, uh, we were diving on a hookah setup, which if you're not a diver, uh, basically just means that instead of the, the standard uh, scuba system where you're diving with tanks on your back, uh, there's a uh, an air hose that runs from the ship all the way down, about 40 feet down to the, to, to the cages. Um, and we were, we were uh, anchored off this island for about three days, and we had been getting a lot of really great interaction with sharks. And on our, our second-to-last dive of the last day that we were there, uh, there was one shark who was particularly curious. And with each successive dive, the shark kind of kept getting closer and closer and closer, uh, kept swimming in tighter and tighter, closer to the cage, kept bumping the cage uh, towards the end. And um, our dive masters decided to, uh, to pull the cage up, pull it out of the water, 
and they just, you know, said, they said this is enough for the day. And probably about 10 feet from the surface, uh, the shark actually, something snapped, and the shark uh, bit down on oh. the entire coil of, uh, of hookah hoses that were connecting us oh. in the cage up to the boat. And as soon as I saw this happen, which was immediately overhead, um, I said, you know, in about three seconds, I'm not going to be able to breathe. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I, t- I try to take one last gasp of breath. And if you've ever tried, if, you, if you're familiar with diving, if you've ever tried to, uh, you know, suck in from a regulator that has no air supply, it's almost like trying to inhale through a straw with your finger on the other end. Um, mm. <clears throat> so it was pretty horrifying. Uh, and they actually had this, this dive company put some backup tanks, uh, backup air tanks inside of the cages in the unlikely event something like this happens. And I grabbed two of the regulators, uh, one from, from each tank, and tried to breathe in, and it was the same thing. There was just nothing. Oh. Uh, I didn't realize this at the time, but they don't actually turn the tanks on. <laughs> I don't know why. Really? You know? I- yeah. So, uh, and somebody told us, told us later that um, they actually told us about this in the, in the dive briefing uh, on the very first day, but apparently everybody was so excited to see the sharks that nobody was paying enough attention to listen to that. So, um, as all this was happening, uh, they were still reeling up the cage, and the shark was, had a mouthful of these hookah hoses that had just exploded in its mouth by this point, because all this pressurized air was just slamming into the, into the shark's mouth, uh, and it was thrashing around on top of the cage as they were pulling it up. Mm. Um, at some point, the shark dislodged itself from the top of the cage and the hoses and sort of fell off to the side of the cage. Um, and at this point, I think we had been probably, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds without air, which is not a particularly long time, but if your heart's beating, you know, 200 beats a minute because you're afraid you're going to either drown or get eaten or both, uh, 30 seconds is like an hour. Yeah. And, um, just as we were getting to the, to the surface, um, I just, I didn't even look up. I didn't even know if the shark was still there. I just, I dove up with both hands out and two of the dive masters grabbed my arms and pulled me onto, um, onto the back of the boat. And it was just, people were screaming. It was just complete, utter chaos. Um, and I don't even actually remember what happened over the next five minutes. I mean, it was just, it was just sheer insanity. Um, it was probably the most exhilarating, frightening, um, exciting moment of my life. <laughs> and <laughs> this and coming from the guy who doesn't want to bungee jump, huh? <laughs> yes. No, I don't like. I don't. I don't do heights. But apparently, <laughs> nearly getting eaten by a shark uh, is, is enough to uh, get me in the water. But um, that was certainly the most transformative experience for me. It was kind of in that moment. Um, you know, I. I it was sort of proof of everything that I already knew about travel, which is that it can be exhilarating and fun and exciting and also extremely dangerous. Um, so it was a great experience, a great kind of cocktail story and whatnot. Uh, and I actually, one of the dive masters on, on board the ship actually caught video of all of this happening. Um, unfortunately, uh, for the, for the crew of the, the boat, um, this is a very bad PR thing. Hmm. Um, and it's something that they don't really want to make public. Mm-hmm. So as long as I can sort of 
speak of it in anonymity, it's not too much of a problem, but uh, I've, I've been forbidden to mention the, the name of the company or, or where it was that we Un- were diving. Understood, and I'm glad that you're here to tell the tale. <laughs> now, I think my mom is too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of people that, uh, that love you, and um, so, wow, don't do that again anytime she, soon, please. Well, a funny side note is that she actually didn't know that I was going shark diving. I told her that I was on a dive trip. And uh, she found out that uh, the area that I was going in um, was having particularly bad weather for that time of year. And she decided to call the company and she said, oh, you know, I can't get in touch with my son. He's going on such and such a boat, you know, out to such and such. Uh, you know, is that is the weather going to be an issue? And the woman said, oh, no, no, they'll they'll be well, you know, beyond that. And uh, and, uh, you know, the sharks will still be there. You know, they'll still be there. So to ruin the trip and my mom said what shark so when i came back she she gave me a sound verbal thrashing when i got back you know i'm sure you didn't tell me you were going shark diving you lied to me and, I was like, well, reason. and here's the video of what really happened while i was there so this is why i didn't tell you what i was doing wow and you know i know you're getting ready to prepare uh you're leaving for jordan in about a week is there anything about that trip that you're going to do that uh you uh may not want to share with your mom? Uh, you know, she was a little bit concerned because of where it is. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a Middle Eastern country, and, you know, that you say that immediately to people who aren't very familiar with travel, and immediately they hear, you know, they have visions of what CNN tells them that the Middle East is, which is that every country is just getting, you know, mortared, and that it's just everything is, every every. You know, region over there is completely war-torn, and, uh, you know, it's a terrible place to visit. But in a lot of cases, for most of the countries over there, that's not the case. Jordan, in particular, is um, it's very – it's becoming very, very much cosmopolitan. Um, it's on a kind of everybody's hot list right now as far as places to visit for 2012. Um, and I, I don't think we have anything specifically frightening planned there. Um supposed to be hot air ballooning over the desert, but I don't think that that's really, uh, you know, I think that's more exciting and exhilarating and maybe a little bit peaceful than, uh, much more so than, than shark diving, so I don't think there's anything too crazy planned. Well, I, I hope to have a report back from you, Mike, when you return, and certainly um, I know this will be the first of many more conversations uh, to come with you, and we certainly look forward to having you on our show again. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you, Tanya. I look forward to joining you again. After the break, Aaron Hirshhorn, the founder of Dog VK, joins us to share how pets can have fun while you travel. So we're, so it's an alternative to the kennel. So instead of putting your dog in a cage for 23 hours a day and it costing $50, $60 a night, we have thousands of hosts across the country who welcome your dog into their home like a member of the family. Next as World Footprints continues. Aloha! This is Danielle. Caleb. Mika. Calling from Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah. We love World Footprints Radio. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with One Brick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterward. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. 
Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, I'm Callie Schultz from the great city of New Orleans, and you're listening to World Footprints Radio. We can't wait to see you in New Orleans very soon. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Aaron Hirschhorn's career has gone to the dogs, literally. If you're anything like Aaron and his wife, Kareen, or for that matter, anything like Tanya and me, your pets are like children. So why would Aaron leave a stellar career in venture capital and private equity to make sure his dogs Rambo and Rocky have a cushy bed to sleep in? Well, we'll find out why shortly. Aaron, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. Now, based on the names of your dogs, I assume that you and Corrine are Sly Stallone fans. Well, I, I do come from Philadelphia, but uh, a little bit more of an accident than anything like that. We, uh, we just love the, the names, and they're two extremely cute, fluffy dogs, so the irony, uh, we had a good time with that. Now, help us uh, connect the dots here. How did you go from a private equity career to a career in the travel service industry? Well, well, as, as it were, I, I, you're generous with a private equity career. I was trying to break into venture capital uh, after I got my MBA. And um, my wife, you know, we, we, my fiancé at the time, she wanted her dream wedding. And uh, I couldn't afford it as I was trying to, trying to enter this field. And so we uh, decided to solve a problem that we had with our own dogs. And we put up a listing on Yelp.com for Aaron's Home Dog Boarding to watch dogs out of our home. And the next thing you know, business was booming. We were getting five or six calls a day, and over the course of about um, eight months, we made $30,000 in cash. Wow. And we had a great time doing it. It was, you know, at the same time as she was, she was working from home, working on her script, and uh, we kept the same schedule that we did with Rocky and Rambo going on walks and playing, and everybody loved it. And we, we sort of said, well, why isn't this a, a real business? Hmm. So, so how exactly does uh, dog vacay work, and how how do you vet the homes? Is that a, a pun intended there? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, I didn't realize that. Thing. I guess I'm more <laughs> clever than I uh, than I give myself credit for. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're so it's an alternative to the kennel. So instead of putting your dog in a cage for 23 hours a day and it costing fifty, sixty dollars a night. We have thousands of hosts across the country who welcome your dog into their home like a member of the family. And they set their own rates. So um, anywhere from $15, which tends to be for a smaller apartment, up to 50 or $60 for you know a, a beautiful home or a professional trainer or something like that. And um, so by people setting their own rates, it really is this vibrant community and people can find the best fit for their specific dog. Now you adapt- and, and, and you and you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to answer your question, Tanya. You said how do we how do we vet the host? Well, right. You know, not just anybody can sign up. You do have to have experience with dogs. Um, we have um, we, there's like an extensive online application, and we do phone call interviews. We check references. We have instructional videos. Um, we also provide comprehensive insurance that covers your the guest dogs, the host dogs, as well as in case of any sort of liability. 
uh, comprehensive liability protection as well. So even though it's up to uh, it's up to the individual people to set their own rates, we provide that that blanket uh, assurance and coverage and peace of mind as well. Now, Aaron, what led you to this niche? Uh, it was truly that we had this problem with our dogs. I mean, we went traveling once back home and uh, put put Rocky and Rambo in the kennel, and, and nothing awful happened. But when we got them back, Rocky especially was was just a little off, and she was uh, she was nervous, and she was anxious, and she was scared. And it, we spent so much money on this, and we just thought to ourselves, "Well, there's got to be a better way." I mean, dogs don't want to be stuck in a cage all day. They want to be part of a pack. They want love and attention, and that's. Um, you know that that's what we were trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Does you know does running Dog VK afford you opportunities to to travel yourself? Because we know just from running World Footprints, even though we travel uh, for a living, we're still working whilst we're traveling. But do you get a chance to to go on a holiday still, even though you have this business you're running? We, we have less chance to go on holiday, but we do find ourselves traveling a lot for business, and we've used now eight uh, different hosts on the site. So it's been a real pleasure to always be able to find new and interesting people and send our dogs on their own vacays, as we call it, you know, their own vacations when we travel. Um, so we use the site for both business travel and pleasure travel. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing a, a number of people use it for traveling to a destination, you know, like... Maybe you're traveling and your mom is allergic to your dog or has that, that uh, Persian carpet or um, the hotel doesn't allow dogs. You can travel uh, with your dog to a destination and use one of the local hosts nearby to watch your dog uh, at night or during the day and, and free you up to travel with your dog a bit more. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you mentioned your love of travel and you and your wife have done uh, quite a bit of traveling. Have there been any places that you've been that uh, have really left an, an impact on, on you? Oh, well, I mean, I, I have done a lot of traveling. I mean, I, I really love, um, this is unrelated to dogs, obviously, but I, I love Thailand. Um, I recently spent a lot of time in Saudi Arabia for, for a random work project, which I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, and it's not particularly dog-friendly either, um, but certainly makes an impact. Uh, really enjoyed Costa Rica as a beautiful place, and the volcanoes and the, and the, the ocean there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't think you guys want to hear me talk about that. <laughs> well, we'd probably echo a lot of your a lot of your sentiments, and, and it's it is hard to to put, you know select one or two destinations when uh, travel is so much your passion. It's like you know, like your children, like your pets. They they um, yeah. you know, it's hard to select a favorite. Um, you yeah, know, because every I mean every place is, is unique and, and gives you a different feeling and a different impression. And so, uh, you know, well, I'd say go go to Dubai. It's a fascinating, interesting experience and a cultural, uh, you know, unique cultural experience. It's very different from going, uh, you know, to, to to Palm Beach or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now I know you know you've had to have heard some interesting stories from both dog owners and the host homes. Um, I'm just, you know, curious, are there, have there been incidents where a host home may have become too attached to um, <laughs> a board and, you know, maybe a fight has ensued about, you know, custody battle or anything of that sort? Do you have any, any screen stories like that? <laughs> 
we've yet, we've yet to experience any custody battles, but we, we have certainly had situations where, you know, the customer at the end says, my dog didn't want to leave, you know, or, <laughs> or, or repeat, a repeat customer where, you know, the dog is basically like pulling the owner to get to the front door of this house because it was just had such a great experience playing there. Um, so, uh, you know, everyone on our site, I mean, the, the, the unifying theme is that everybody loves their dogs. And so, um, I think because of that, we've been fortunate to have just a great community and people who, who really love what they're doing. Sure. Now, Ian and I are cat lovers, and you may hear our little creature in the background um, playing, Erwin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so are there any plans to create a cat vacay services for those of us who have cats? Well, it's interesting. We get, a, I'd say, about two or three inquiries a day for cats, and we do um, have the domains uh, petvacay.com, catvacay.com. And, by the way, we have all the other animals as well if, uh, for those iguana vacay lovers out there <laughs> or hamster vacay lovers. Um, we, we actually, because uh, on our site, I'd say about one-third of our, of our providers are actually professional uh, pet care, professional pet sitters or professional pet care providers, they do cats as well, so we have plenty of people that we can send to your home to, uh, you know, feed them, change the water, change the litter box. And over time, we definitely will be incorporating that more visibly into the into the product. But right now, um, it's a bit more hidden. Yeah, well, I'm sure if you know if we were to uh, board Irwin um, at somebody's home, they may pay us to to take him back. <laughs> so. oh, he's, a good <laughs> he's just mischievous. He gets into everything. So, um, but. Uh, Anyways, so um, Aaron, thank you so much for for sharing uh, Dog Vacay with us. And um, certainly, you know, if you if there does if there is a custody battle that ensues, we'd love to to hear about that. <laughs> that sounds good. Maybe you guys know some good lawyers as well. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm looking across at one, and and, and vice versa. So. <laughs> Well, you know, one, one thing I'd love to add is, um, you know, we are we are national, United States and, and Canada as well, and we're, we're really looking for people who love their dogs and has an opportunity to do this as a supplemental source of income. If you're retired, if you, um, you know, work at home, a stay-at-home mom or a designer or anything like that, you can go to the site, um, you can click become a host and fill out the application. And we'd love to have people who, who are really into their animals uh, mm-hmm. to, to take part in our community. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Well, it's a wonderful service, and uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us and our audience. And um, we certainly wish you luck with uh, your growth. And, you know, honestly, sky's the limit. You know, gerbils, hamsters, you know, fish. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think you're on to something there, my dear. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and now Pinterest. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again real soon. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi guys, my name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprint.
Heritage Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.